if you cannot give up your cigarettes or you cannot give up your burning tobacco or using tobacco in any form, then there is an alternative which you can also consider which is for reduced harm. Of course, not that uh, electronic cigarettes have zero potential to cause harm, but it is 95% safer. It's 90% safer. In medicine, even if something is 20% safer, you know, that is considered as harm reduction. Hello world, welcome to the Vaping Unplugged podcast. Everything you need to know about vaping and tobacco harm reduction. Hi everyone, um, you're listening to the podcast uh, Vaping Unplugged and welcome back. As you know, we're talking all about vaping um, and harm reduction globally. Uh, today we have very interesting conversation with a very interesting guest, Dr. Rohan Andre Desdequiera. <laughs> I'm not sure. <laughs> I think I was okay with pronunciation. Uh, doctor is a distinguished consultant, cardiometabolic physician, and professor specializing in non-invasive cardiology, diabetes, endocrinology, and obesity management. Uh, also, uh, Dr. Zekera holds a senior consultant positions at prestigious institutions. And today we will be talking all about uh, science, um, uh, all the misconceptions around vaping, harm reduction generally. Me, uh, Dr. Sekera, thank you so much for your time. It's a pleasure to have you here today. My pleasure, Lisa. It's just been uh, an interesting way to see how this progress has always been with regards to harm reduction and always, you know, as physicians and as doctors, we as our first oath is to reduce harm to patients. So this is something right up our alley. Definitely, and we'll be talking more about that in just in a minute. But before we switch to that topic, specifically harm reduction and smoking cessation, I wanted to ask you about yourself because I might have missed um, some of the aspects of all the interesting work that you were doing and very important job that you're doing. So could you maybe tell our listeners more about yourself? Right. So um, I'm actually what you call as a cardiometabolic physician. Uh, I specialize in non-invasive cardiology and uh, our primary area of focus is diabetes, uh, all the endocrine problems, the hormonal issues, you have thyroid, uh, obesity management. And also along with that, we also look at a lot of patients who come with lung disorders. We have patients who come with different kinds of lifestyle disorders. So that's what I've been working on for the last 30 years. Uh, I've been trained in the US and Europe and currently I'm practicing in India. And uh, yeah, that's what I do for, for a living every day. And Amazing. Also, and I guess you're helping a lot of people. That's really valuable. Um, I love treating patients and riding my Harley Davidson bike, so that's different. <laughs> <laughs> Doctor, I wanted to ask you about harm reduction concept generally, and you have already mentioned the progress that the world is probably doing great. Uh, that's what you meant. So I, as, as you're an expert in different medical fields, I just uh, wanted to ask about general harm reduction con concept. What do you think about that? How important it is and how can it contribute generally to, to public health policies or public health improvement? Right. So there are many different kinds of harm reduction. If you look at it from a, from a very superficial point of view, you have social harm reduction, you have personal harm reduction, you have uh, medical harm reduction, you have lifestyle harm reduction. So it, uh, anything in life that makes your quality of life a little bit better 
is what we call harm reduction, right? Just looking, when you cross the road, you look left, you look right, that is a form of harm reduction. So there are so many ways in which harm reduction can actually benefit public health. If you look at, uh, you know, cleaning up the streets, if you look at maintaining proper hygiene, all of these are different aspects of harm reduction, which we tend to forget because it's become part and parcel of our day-to-day -day life. Now, when we look at it from a medical point of view, if you have a diabetic patient or if you have a patient who's got cardiovascular disease, or if I have to do a patient, if I have to take care of a patient, I have to do an angioplasty or maybe I have to do a bypass. These are all harm reduction alternatives that we have to give these patients. So there are different forms of harm reduction depending on each situation. Thank you. Um, and I also want to talk about vaping as a part of harm reduction. As you know, World Vapers Alliance advocates for consumers uh, voices and vapors voices worldwide. And I wanted to ask you about what's your stance of va on vaping? Um, what do you think about it as a smoking cessation aid? And how do you think public health authorities should be treating it in that regard? So as we know, um, a lot of data has already been published with regards to harm reduction in, in vaping. Uh, we all know that the UK government has already put it up on their own public health website that vaping is 95% safer than smoking tobacco or the regular conventional uh, burn tobacco products. We know that there is definitely a reduced amount of toxins and carcinogens in uh, electronic cigarette vapor compared to the, the, the smoke that is released by the conventional burn tobacco. Whereas you have a lot of tars, you have nitrosamines, you have cancer-causing products. You have, uh, well, obviously, there is no safe alternative other than giving up smoking altogether. But that being said, uh, the research and the data is there in the market right now that suggests that uh, electronic cigarettes definitely have a lesser reduced impact on a person's biological uh, systems than that which is there on a burnt tobacco right now. Um, thank you. And do you think that, how do you think vaping should be implemented then in public health sector if that's, um, uh, if that's definitely like some um, a, a smoking cessation aid in that regard? One of the biggest obstacles that uh, this current uh, harm reduced alternative, which we call vaping or electronic cigarettes or e-cigarettes or whatever you may call it, one of the biggest hurdles and one of the biggest obstacles which many people or many governments have had to overcome is trying to convince the medical professionals, right? Because there is a lot of myths, not only in the general public, but also among medical professionals that vaping or electronic cigarettes is as bad, if not worse, than smoking regular tobacco, right? Now, the UK government has done a pretty good job of addressing that gap in the market. The, the US and the rest of the European uh, countries are also working on that. Australia has moved towards a prescription-based format. New Zealand is moving to a prescription-based format. I think the way to go ahead is because at the end of the day, uh, I, when I look at it from a medical point of view, I deal with the end of the spectrum. The, the, the person's been smoking for years and years and years and then when he, by the time he comes to my clinic, he's already got the damage done. So I think a lot of public health initiatives should be concentrated on the medical professional where the education or rather the update of the information should be provided to the medical uh, professionals where they are able to make an informed choice and advise patients and say, okay, you're on a path to an angioplasty or a bypass or maybe heart disease or diabetes. Here is something, if you cannot give up your cigarettes or you cannot give up your burning tobacco or using tobacco in any form, 
then there is an alternative which you can also consider which has got reduced harm. Of course, not that uh, electronic cigarettes have zero potential to cause harm, but it is 95% safer. It's 90% safer. In medicine, even if something is 20% safer, you know, that is considered as harm reduction. Hi everyone, hold up on the vaping for a second. We've got something very special for you. You ever have that feeling when someone's always saying don't do this, can't have that? Well, Fan Police is a podcast that is all about that. People trying to ban what you enjoy from a beer to a piece of chocolate. It's delivered by the Consumer Choice Center. It's a five-part series and it digs deep into why some people so desperately want to ban our fun. Well, Fan Police is easy listening and it's coming your way every week. Uh, now just get ready for a quick preview. Did you vape today or drink? Did you have a beer, a glass of wine, place a bet or eat chocolate? There are activists out there who believe that you are hurting yourself and that for the sake of the greater good, you should be banned from doing it. These activists are neo-prohibitionists. They don't believe in your right to choose and they have big budgets to lobby governments to restrict your lifestyle. And their actions have real consequences. Prohibition of, of something, whether it's riding without a seatbelt, whether it's selling cigarettes, this creates new opportunities for citizens to interact with the police. Garner, who had been accused of selling cigarettes illegally on New York's Staten Island, seen here being taken down by NYPD officer Daniel Pantaleo. So this Orwellian-sounding FCTC is about benefiting the black market and making poor people pay. I listen to people saying, oh, we don't want to tax the poor. Well, we want the poor to live longer so that they can get an education and enjoy life. This group took public money to create a pseudoscientific amalgamation of studies with low scientific validity to lecture you about having more than two beers a week. I think anybody here can see through the nonsense. Fun Police, a five-part Consumer Choice Center original podcast uncovering the prohibitionist movements seeking to ban it all. New episodes dropping weekly wherever you get your podcasts. That is where the pharma companies are constantly working on newer drugs which have got lesser side effects. Right? Every year we have new drugs coming into the market which are the same generation of drugs but the newer drug comes with lesser side effects, lesser effects on the kidney, lesser effects on the heart. Even that is harm reduction. So when you have something here which is killing millions of people every year, why not apply the same principle here and give them a harm-reduced alternative, which is, you know, validated by the scientific community? Um, you, you've taken a very interesting stance on this. And also you've been mentioning all the myths and misconceptions and how um, in the field there are medical experts who might also be uh, targeted with those misconceptions. I personally uh, live in Georgia and you can see a lot of um, doctors with all due respect, they still think that, for instance, vaping is more harmful and they might suggest sticking to smoking, which is very, very counterproductive in the end. So that's a real tragedy that many countries probably are facing. And that's why it's important that we're having you today to speak about uh, all of that. I, uh, since you started talking about misconceptions, I also wanted to ask you, about nicotine and mis misconceptions because nicotine has been demonized on a large scale. And uh, do you think there are, what are the most common myths that you hear about nicotine and 
would you please be so kind as to debunk those things? <laughs> so if you look at nicotine as a chemical, it's a stimulant, right? It's a neurostimulant, it's a cardiac stimulant, it's a, it's a stimulant to many of the receptors in the brain, it's a stimulant to many of the receptors in your nerves, it stimulates receptors in your heart, in your lungs, in different systems, in your blood vessels. It doesn't actually work very much different from caffeine, right? Now, any drug in your body in excess is obviously going to cause a side effect which none of us want. If I drink about 40 cups of coffee every day, I'll be jumping up and down because caffeine is also a neurostimulant. Caffeine increases your heart rate, caffeine increases your lung respiratory rate, it causes vasodilation, it causes excessive urination. Like the same way, and caffeine is also addictive, right? It's what uh, there are certain chemicals which cause something what is called as upregulation of receptors. Means the more you take it, the more the receptors are formed and the more your addiction grows. Nicotine works in a very similar way. Of course, there have been some research which has shown that nicotine in the long term can predispose to cancers. It can predispose by itself, but those researches are not validated as of yet, but they are just in individual research which have been done by certain organizations. At the end of the day, you're looking at a stimulant which has been used for thousands of years. We are not targeting people to say don't use nicotine or don't use caffeine. We're just trying to give you a better alternative to deliver the product. So basically, when you look at the drug delivery system, both caffeine and nicotine are drugs. They're classified as drugs according to the US pharmacopoeia. They're classified as drugs according to the European pharmacopoeia. All that is the debate about today is how is that drug being delivered? How is that stimulant being delivered? Are you burning it to deliver it or are you giving it in? Are you delivering it in a safer mechanism? That's where the entire debate is all about. Nobody's opposing. If you look at all these people who are talking about banning uh, e-cigarettes and banning uh, electronic whips, nobody's talking about banning cigarettes, right? So it's a duality of nature here. So Maybe uh, right, and maybe we could also elaborate on the burning point because for those who are listening right now and who might be on their journey of quitting, it might be a very important information on why actually the delivery <laughs> matters, right? What's the difference? Between burning and vaping? So when you burn, if you look at the tip of the cigarette, right, the temperature at the tip of a cigarette is about a thousand degrees centigrade. But when you look at uh, when you look at the, an electronic cigarette or a vape, the temperature doesn't go anywhere between 100 to 200 degrees centigrade. Now there are two differences, very very major difference, which happens between smoking or burning tobacco and delivering nicotine in the form of a of a vapor. When you look at burning, there is a transformation in the product itself. You're transforming one product, which is tobacco, into an oxidized product, which is then getting transformed completely into ash or into some other product. And in the process, releasing thousands of chemicals along with just nicotine. Now, when you're looking at electronic cigarettes, it's not a transformation, but it is just converting from one form to another. It's like you take water and you heat it up. You get steam, right? Or when you take that same water and you freeze it, you get ice. It's the same product, which is aerosolized, and then delivered into the lungs. So there is a huge difference between burning and vaping, where burning is a transformation from one product completely into a different substance, which is completely different from the one which it started from. Whereas in a vapor is just taking it from one form into the other component of its form. So you're just converting it, for example, you say water into steam, right? That's the difference between there. So there's no burning in, in vaping. It's just converting from one to the other. And of course, there's a huge 
thing between the chemical process in a burn and where there's active heat involved, where there's a burn component, the degrees are much higher. You're looking at 1000 degrees centigrade, 2000 degrees centigrade. Here you're looking at a much lower heat. You're looking at 100, maybe 150, maybe 200 degrees centigrade max. Thank you so much for elaborating on that. That's going to be very interesting, I guess, for our listeners as well. Um, and I, my next question is about scientific evidence, because you've been talking um, and also explaining a lot already about harm reduction concept, about vaping, and partially what WBA also does a lot is diving into scientific research and trying to get it to consumers and uh, provide consumers with accurate scientific information but one of the myths that we frequently meet is that there is not enough scientific data on vaping for instance and that's why there might be a prohibition for instance happening in some of the countries what do you think about that stance there is a lot of scientific data and a lot of the scientific data is available if you do a good search on PubMed, which is basically where all the doctors go to search for there has been research which has been published in the New England Journal of Medicine, in the Journal of the American Journal for Cardiology. There has been journals in the, in the European Association for Study of Cardiology. The Japanese journals have published a lot of data. But the problem is that the data against is so heavy because people have so much, so much of data which they want to gather that much of this data has been buried behind. So, in fact, a very, very interesting data from the U.S. Journal of the Journal of the American Medical Journal had actually published a very, very interesting article in 2019 which suggested that electronic cigarettes could actually be a very, very viable and potent way to reduce harm and reduce the damage caused by cigarettes. But nobody hears about it because it's just been pushed to the side. But if you do a very good PubMed search, you go into PubMed, you search for the beneficial effects of electronic cigarettes, you'll get a lot of data coming out of that. In fact, we just presented a paper in, in Manila very recently uh, by an organization called CAFRA, which basically had a lot of data which was published on medical harm-reduced alternatives. So there is a lot of data. I mean, for me to get into it individually would take a different lecture altogether, but there is a lot of scientific data. Now, the, yeah. If you just look at it from a logical point of view, the UK government is not just going to go and publish data on the website without validation, right? No government in their right sense is going to go and publish a very controversial topic and put it on their website and say this is 95% harm reduced. There has to be a lot of data behind that particular decision, right? Because the whole country is involved. So the very big fact is that there is data, but the myth is that there is no data, but there is data. Right. And uh, sadly, this myth is also used very commonly just to avoid people to get to know and like get familiar with all this research. They block consumers out of it, which is which is a shame. But it's important that you are also saying that um, and confirming. Um, my next question is about a specific country, because you've mentioned that you're based in India. And <laughs> conversation while we were arranging the podcast and i know that in india the situation with vaping is quite drastic because there is a full-scale vape ban and i wanted to ask you about the public health specifically in india because that's one of the examples how the full-scale ban would affect public health generally and consumers and patients what are what are your thoughts on it so if you look at it from an Indian point of view, uh, here in India, we have one of the largest population of smokers in the world. And also, incidentally, one of the largest populations for non-burnt tobacco users as well, which means the tobacco, chewable tobacco and different products. 
Uh, we, in India, we have a very, very huge burden of cardiometabolic disease. We have a very huge burden of patients undergoing heart disease and diabetes and cholesterol issues because of a lot of lifestyle choices. And smoking cigarettes has been one of the biggest issues that have been here because of the cause of public health. The government has done a lot of work here to try to reduce uh, the burden of cigarettes. Uh, every packet of cigarettes now has a, a, a huge photograph of somebody having cancer or somebody having a bad. I think those are all protocols which have been dictated by the FCTC also. Now, when you look at it from a from a band point of view, when you have data which is suggesting that there is something which has got a reduced harm, uh, I think government, the government of India should look at it in a very favorable point of view, because uh, the biggest debate, or rather the biggest uh, cause they always cite, is that the younger generation is going to get into, into smoking because of electronic cigarettes, because of flavors and all of that. Now there is a way outside that. You have to involve people who are affected. Now making a decision just by getting a group of experts and saying this is how it's going to happen is not the way forward. Uh, yes, I do understand cigarettes do bring in a lot of taxes, right? But then nobody's stopping you from regulating it. Why should you why should you ban it when you can regulate it, right? You regulate it, get data out from the local market, and then you then you do a comparison study. Find out whether it's there or not. Without research, if you ban something which is shown to be harm reduced, that's something like, and not only that, even research in electronic cigarettes in India is banned. This is, I think, this is the only country which has banned research in, in electronic cigarettes. So I think it will take some time for them to realize that, you know, this is an harm reduced alternative and the fight will go on. Definitely. And as a last question, I want to end on a note for you what would be your final message to public health authorities or those who are in charge of public health policies? <laughs> How should they address smoking cessation, in your opinion, more effectively? The best way, if you ask me as a doctor, I think smoking is bad for anyone, whether it's smoking cigarettes or smoking electronic cigarettes, right? From a healthcare point of view, any addiction is bad. But we are humans at the end of the day, we need a morning cup of coffee, we need a stimulant, we have so much of stress of life. So we have been doing these things from the last 4,000 years. We're not going to be stopping today, right? The human race will go on. Now, what is important is as technology starts improving and as science starts improving, we have to look positively at harm reduced alternatives that come our way and not just brush them under the carpet. There has to be an open-ended discussion by all governments on either side of the table, where you have to and pro, let each side put their points out and come to a mutually agreed decision. But if you take a unilateral approach and say, I'm going to ban this or I'm going to ban that without any scientific evidence being taken into favor, and you just look at few particular points which are favoring your decision, that wouldn't be the, the, the most democratic way. So if you look at it from my point of view, I was a smoker for about five to six years before I started vaping. I then shifted over to electronic cigarettes myself, found the results, I found my blood sugar stable, I found my cholesterol become stable, I said, hey, if it works for me, it'll work for my patients. So today I do advise many of my patients, if they can find it, I, I tell them to try to switch to harm-reduced alternatives. Thank you so much. I really appreciate your insight today. It's been an absolute pleasure having an interview with you and I think we need more and more medical experts like you talking about those issues to consumers. It's very important. Thank you so much.
Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Lisa. It's really a pleasure talking. Absolutely. To everyone who was listening, I hope you enjoyed our conversation. And also remember that we will be uh, back with the next episode very soon, in a week. So stay tuned and pay on. Thank you very much. Thank you.